Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. We've got a special little episode here. It's not really even an episode, but um, Donovan had the really good idea of us getting together to talk about all the new Star Trek-oriented, even if it's not called Star Trek, uh, TV that's on now. Uh, it's, September is wonderful. It's a wonderful month. Right, so the 2017 season has two new Star Trek-y shows, which is, one is Orville, which is on Fox here in the United States, and the other is Star Trek Discovery, which is on CBS All Access. Right, and oddly enough, the first episode was broadcast over CBS, the regular CBS. Right, yeah, they kind of, I didn't know that they were going to do both the first two episodes on the same day, so... You had you could watch the first episode and then it ends in a big cliffhanger and then you had to go over to C- CBS All Access to watch the second episode. Right. I thought that was pretty tricky. Uh, well, that that's a word. Yeah, tricky. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> tricky. That's that's a nice word to use. So as of today, we have seen the first two episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Um, the third one comes out today, um, and then uh, for I almost called it Star Trek Orville, but uh, <laughs> you could have. Yeah. For Orville, uh, I've seen the first four episodes. Ken's only seen the first three, so we'll just talk about the first three. So um, I, I, I I think it's great. I think I think these these two shows are are both really good, but they're so dissimilar that it's uh, it's it's you can't say that one's you can't say they're the same thing. No, but obviously they both have great lineage into uh, the Star Trek world. Uh, right. Even though they never actually use the word Star Trek in the Orville. It's it's incredibly obvious. It's almost like Enterprise, how the first couple of seasons of Enterprise, they, for whatever reason, didn't ever want to call it Star Trek. Right. So maybe in a couple of seasons, they'll go ahead and say, okay, this is Star Trek Orville. Oh, they won't. <laughs> they won't ever do that. Yeah, All right. Because so... then Paramount and CBS would have to get paid something. They'll never yeah, use the words. I, I don't – as uh... – is Orville actually made by Fox, or I, I don't even know what company makes it, to tell you the truth. I, um, I think it's Fuzzy Door. Well, Fuzzy Door Productions uh, is involved, and I think that's the company that makes Family Guy, too, although I'm not 100% sure. Um, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that's independent of Fox, but it's, I, I don't think it has anything necessarily to do with uh, Paramount or CBS. Right. So, um, I mean, it, it's really kind of amazing how they could have a, a show like The Orville, which is so blatantly Star Trek derivative, that – is anybody getting kickbacks on this? Did anybody get kickbacks <laughs> on Galaxy Quest? Galaxy Quest? I don't yeah, know. I doubt it. I doubt it. Probably not, but, you know, it's it's obvious, but – Whatever. Right. The only thing is, when you look at the Orville Bridge, it just makes me think it was made in a uh, meeting room at a Holiday Inn, a little bit. <laughs> you, you think just the a little bit? Look cheap. Well, no. They, they obviously didn't spend as much money. 
uh, in my opinion, in a couple different ways. But it almost looks, I mean, you know, that big, huge, I mean, you walk into it through a big, huge hallway. Right. You know, there's right. no turbo lift up to it. It just looks like it's a rectangular conference room with, with like another room behind it or a big wide hallway, uh, right. which is fine. It doesn't have to be all the same. It doesn't have to be circular. Um, although Defiant wasn't circular, was it? Or was it? Well, whatever. Uh, yeah, it pretty much was. Yeah. But it was a little different. Can, can I tell you what I think? This is the, the high level yeah. what I think of these shows. Please. You're going to do both at the same time? I am. Okay, go. When I – leading up to this, I was both excited and I had trepidation. Because uh, you, you hear a lot of things. You hear – you know, when there's a vacuum, people, you know, just make up stuff. So I – you know, there were things I heard that were not that positive, and then I heard other things that were positive, And, you know, I just didn't know what to think. And, of course, Seth MacFarlane, he's great. Love him. But I think of him as a comedian. Sure. Um, even though I know he's a super Star Trek fan, obviously. So I really didn't know how this whole Orville thing was, was going to work, even though the, the previews look really good. So when I actually watch them, um, as I'm watching them, I really wanted to like them more than I liked them. Hmm. And, and in fact, my wife thought the Orville first episode was awful. Awful. And I did not think it was awful by a long shot. However, it, it, it wasn't great. I liked it, but it wasn't great. Um, and then there were a lot of things that were confusing to me in Star Trek Discovery. A lot of things were going on, and there was a huge amount of subtitles, and I had a technical glitch in my, you know, the, the second episode where I didn't see all the Klingon subtitles. So that was very hard for me to follow some, the subtlety of what was going on with no subtitles, as the Klingons pretty much... Almost 99% spoke Klingon. Once in right. a while, they spoke English. Um, once in a great while. But on, now I have seen three episodes of Warville, and they get better. Episodes get even better. So not cra- still not crazy about the premiere episode, but the episodes that come after it are getting better and better and better. And now that I have watched and uh, really got into the details of the, the, the two only discovery episodes that have gone on. I like it a lot better, a lot better. Now I know there were things I didn't catch on the first viewing. So I watched it a second time. Uh, very easy, very, very handy to have CBS all access for that. Um, to be watching it as many times as you want to. And, um, I, I like them both and I'm just happy as a clam. Good. I mean, they can always be better. Sure. And yes, you're right, Donovan, because you texted me a few times. There are plot holes, mm-hmm. and there is uh, continuity problems, especially with Discovery. I mean, there is no continuity to worry about with uh, with Orville, right? But, but Discovery has a lot of baggage to have to deal with, a lot of history to deal with, and right. they're inserting themselves in one point in history that hasn't really been explored, but it has all this history around it. So that means that anything they do is doomed probably to have continuity problems right to some degree so yeah the same problem same problem enterprise had i mean enterprise was always riding that line too of uh you know why does the ship look more futuristic than Mm. the 60s Mm -hmm. stuff like that oh exactly yeah so uh real quick can i say what i think about both of them please do all right i i liked orville the first episode maybe better than you did um i i was a little disappointed that all the jokes were in the trailer so 
Um, a lot of the jokes felt stale because I'd already seen them in the trailer, so I didn't get that. You know, this is this is funny. Um, but I really liked it. I really liked the pilot, and I really liked the other episodes. And and it's really, uh, it feels like it's what Star Trek was supposed is is always supposed to be. You know, takes moral questions that you have now and they kind of puts a sci-fi spin on it and and you see it in a different way and you're like well of course why would anybody think that is wrong or whatever right and uh, especially with the third episode which is the baby one yep man it had me going you know i I have my point of view (laughs) (laughs) and some of the characters shared that point of view with me but they told that story in such a way that by the time it was over, I was like, you know what? Maybe my point of view is not right. Because, <laughs> you know, who are we to impose our, our beliefs on other people, you know? And, and uh, they had me go in both ways, you know? The, both both sides were arguing the, the case, and I was like, this is what good storytelling is supposed to do. It is. It makes make, you think. Right. And, uh, and the fact that they keep throwing in jokes, you know, as if it was real life, you know, because people joke around and, and you know, there's a, the whole gallows humor type thing. And a lot of times, you know, kind of felt like maybe they were joking. The jokes didn't necessarily feel un, un uh, you know, it didn't feel like somebody wouldn't really say that in that situation. Because you're like, well, yeah, you do kind of want to break up the tension and you might make a joke like that. Uh, so I liked it a lot. I, I like that show. And then as far as Discovery goes, it's kind of the other side of the Star Trek coin, which is we're, you know, we're only two episodes in. And it was kind of like a made-for-TV movie type thing. So it's really just one story that was told in two episodes. So it, it's kind of hard to say where, where they're going to go with it. But it's more of the swashbuckling action-adventure type uh, story, sci-fi type story, which which Star Trek has plenty of too, you know, like with Nemesis and, and uh, First Contact and things like that. Right. Um, which, you know, I like too. I love I love those, those movies and I love those kind of stories too. So... Uh, it's just kind of cool to watch two different people's take on on kind of what they got out of Star Trek back with the original and the next generation. Um, so right. I'm liking it a lot. Uh, you know, I've watched them with my wife and, and she was a big Star Trek fan um, and she's not blown away with Discovery. Um, so it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see where she goes with where if she continues to like it or not. But mm-hmm. she really loves Orville. She thinks Orville is, is great. Because she was a huge Next Generation fan, hmm. and to me, I think Orville really borrows from Next oh, Generation big. quite a bit. Visually, oh my God, how they open you know, open up the stories. They always have a shot of the ship usually um, when you come back from the commercial break and everything. Visually, TNG heavy heavily borrowed, right? Which is a good thing. That's a oh, great hey, thing. You're gonna borrow from the best. Yeah. So um, right. Yeah. Uh, so there's so many things that they're different, and there are commonalities, though, also. Right. So uh, definitely there are moral tales to be so- told in the more serial, serialized, not episodic, um, discovery. Mm-hmm. So definitely the big one, which is very obvious, is how the Klingons want uh, a p- purity uh, in their um, – in their way of life, they want it to be truly only Klingon. The whole idea that the Federation represents a heterogeneous uh, grouping of different species that are working together is abhorrent to them. Right. And they do not want to be uh, ma- 
become a part of that or in any way lose their Klingoniness. So, and so that, as near as I can tell, is the big moral message. And there might be other ones, but that's the one that really obviously hits you upside the head. Right. So the idea, and of course, that's trying to speak out, um, cast a mirror to some degree on white supremacists. Or maybe other kinds of supremacists. Maybe, maybe there's black supremacists out there. I don't know. But right. obviously the white supremacists um, are very vocal these days. So obviously that is trying to uh, hold a mirror in front of uh, that unfortunate um, societal aberration that we uh, are dealing right. with these days. Or even some countries that just don't want any Western uh, yeah. or outside influence on their, on their people. That's another way to look at it. Yeah, that's the way I was looking at it. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, okay, well, there you go. Um, It's a messy world. Lots of peoples out there. Lots of ideas out there. So um, if you want everything to be one pure way, that's uh, difficult. Right. Anyway. Yep. No, I liked it a lot. I liked them both. Um, I, I... I'm glad. I'm glad they both came out at the same time. Uh, to tell you the truth, because, like I said, it's two completely different takes on it. But uh, but by getting both of them, you're kind of like, ah, okay, get the the lighter, the lighter, like Trouble with Triple or Star Trek Four type mm-hmm. episodes. Right. Uh, you know, that's what kind of the Orville feels like, and then yeah, you get exactly Discovery, which is you know the 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 harder, more dramatic. Right. Yeah. They're they're. I. Almost no humor. <laughs> Almost but, not. Which is funny. Okay, so we'll, we'll go ahead and make a disclaimer. We are. I think we should probably spoil a little things. So um, if you haven't seen these, at least the first three of Orville or the first two of Discovery, go ahead and stop because I'm going to mention something that uh, yeah maybe maybe you don't want spoiled. Okay, but but really by this point, would anybody not have seen <laughs> at least the two Discoveries? Sure, right, but. But who knows? There could be somebody out there. There might be somebody. Um, out there. I, I know. Waiting, I, I waiting to get their CBS. Uh, waiting to waiting That's to uh, get CBS All Access once there's a few more episodes out there to, exactly. to watch all in one shot. There you go. I could. I, I almost did that myself. I was like, I, I might wait. <laughs> I might wait a, a month or so. When, wait till episode. Yeah. Wait yeah. till episode fifteen. I think there's supposed to be fifteen. Is done and then pay for one month, watch them all, and then cancel. cancel. There you go. <laughs> Swish. I did think about doing that, Swish. but I was like, I can't. I got to watch them. So they went ahead and they got my, uh, they got my month, I guess. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. That's good but um, so anyway, so in in Discovery, I, I really liked at the beginning. There was a lot of humor. I thought the interactions between the captain and the first officer, the interactions between the two of them and the uh, the science officer, or uh, I guess he's not science officer. The the alien. I guess he's more of a. Well, he's a science officer. No, he's a science officer. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so that's. I mean, yeah, Lieutenant Saru. Right, Saru. There was a lot of humor there, and I was like, I was getting a, you know, a, like the the reboot Star Trek vibe a little bit with uh, with their interactions. You know, they're kind of wow. riffing on each other. But then it goes uh, once once people start dying, they they're there's no more levity in 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 the show. Yeah. And it's well, very confrontational. Yeah. And quite frankly, Lieutenant Saru and um, Burnham 
I mean, you know, to some degree, they don't like each other. So uh, there's plenty of not humor in there, too, which is kind of funny. I, I, I kind of like having a little bit of uh, competitiveness, a little bit of not 100% crazy about you. So you think that they were more like a like a Spock McCoy type dynamic? Ah, uh, well, or I don't do you think, think it wasn't even think, that. Friendly? No, I don't. Well, I, I think I think they like each other, okay, but it's obvious in their interactions that they're not on the same page, and they do disagree. I mean, you remember when uh, when Burnham tried to you know, like kind of nudge, yeah, when uh, they were Saru. You know, over so she could do a better job of working the sensors than him, and then right. he ends up going in and kind of shoving her out of the way a little bit too. So you know, they're both asserting themselves, and they're right. they're, they're competitive. Yeah, but that was I kind of like that because because well, he was, even makes but, like a little comment about uh, you know I, I can do more than just read it off the the, the screen or whatever. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I was right, getting right, more right. of a uh, you know a, a friendly competitive uh, vibe, but well. I, it, but maybe it was more one-sided or well, antagonistic. I think it's I think it's to some degree it's antagonistic, but it's not like they hate each other. I'm not saying sure. that, but there's a little bit of friction there, right? Which is cool. And and from the preview for the next movie or the from the next episodes, it looks like maybe they're the only two that continue on. It doesn't look like too many other other crew members. Well, and why would they? I mean, because right. I mean, spoiler alert. Um, the Shinzu, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right, is destroyed, and many people on the ship died, uh, although obviously some of them got out because uh, there are some pretty cool shuttlecrafts slash uh, escape pods that take off. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, a lot of those people, there, there's not a lot of reason to expect even Saru to end up on Discovery, although he must. He has to. Right. So, well, he's in the trailer, so... There you go. Exactly. But why would he be? Because... Coincidence. Another... Another... Spoiler. Um, from the previews, uh, Burnham definitely is in prison. so Or at least on her way to prison. Right. Um, so she's got a life sentence, which seems a bit extreme. So she's got a life sentence for basically mutiny. Um... And which which does not sound right. That that's not the Starfleet I know of. But it's it's a military. It's a military. It's a. I thought it was a military light organization always to me. I mean, hey, we're explorers. We're not. You know, we're not soldiers. So really, um, a, a life sentence. I don't know. That seems a bit extreme. Anyway, so somehow discovery comes into it. When Burnham is being transported to prison, I'm not quite sure. Right? Yeah, well, I don't know. I, uh, they, I don't. I, I was almost getting the feeling that maybe the discovery was kind of a almost a you know some sort of scientific or, or I don't know. They they don't tell you, but no, they don't you know, tell you. I was thinking it might be even like a some sort of prison ship at first, but uh, but I don't know. Well, yeah, you mentioned that. Uh, you texted that. So, but, but so you're thinking that that the prisoners stay on the ship, or that he's using these prisoners for something because they they well, say that you know he needs her 
he needs as many minds as he could or whatever. Yeah, and she's yeah. like, what's going on here? And stuff starts floating. Right, right. So, right. you know, something I'm like, I was like, yeah, something weird's going on. So I don't know. I don't know, man, but uh, it's it was good. I, I'm looking forward to tonight's episode to find out. Right. So, um, yeah. Okay, so do you want to dive in and talk about specific episodes at this point, or you have got more general to say? Uh, no, let's go ahead. Uh, which one do you want to do first, the Discovery or Orgo? Uh, uh, let's do Discovery. Okay. Because that's the one I find – I like. Do you like that one better so far? I like that better so far, but I like them both. Right. And, and you know, if we're having to pick I, – I, I'm liking Orville more than, than the first two episodes of Star Trek. Cool. Not saying that I'm not going to watch either one. <laughs> right, yeah. But, uh, uh, right. but, yeah, so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the, the – we'll do the first episode, which was called The Vulcan Hello. Yes. Um. Can I, upon rewatching, can I can I point out a few things that I really didn't like? Sure. I missed the captain's logs type voiceover mm-hmm. because it forced characters to have conversations that were really stupid. Nah. Like, like having <laughs> having Michael explain to the captain why they're on the planet to open oh, up that well. Got it. And hate I'm that. like, I hated that. Seriously, she. <laughs> it's her mission. Why would she need you to explain it to her? I, I, I was like, I told I my wife, that. I was like, she's she's mansplaining it to the captain because huh? she's a woman. <laughs> I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> Whereas if you just had a captain's log, you would you have know already that. known all that. Or or the captain could have told you that. Very good point. And then, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, um, the the other thing I didn't like, and I don't remember if it's this episode or the next one, which is, the mind meld thing that uh oh the long distance that, mind meld sarek yeah. thing so yeah. because sarek mind melded her with with her as a child he's now able to communicate to her through telepathy well because a piece of his katra is now in her it, it's, it's it's the same kind of thing they were doing with, how it with, works with what Guinan? it was 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 that a piece of Guinan was left in the the Nexus uh, in the Nexus, and somehow that's how she was able to communicate with Picard. It's like, yeah, eh, didn't like it then, don't like it now. Yeah, didn't like that either. But but at least that one at least makes a little sense because the you know who's who's to understand what the Nexus does. Well, who's because it kind of was all over time. Well, and apparently, everything. who's to understand what a Vulcan the Contra does? <laughs> I mean, it even, it even it even took a little uh, shelter in McCoy. So I was like, okay, well, whatever. I was gonna say that there was a comic book where. McCoy tries to use what what you know he thought maybe there was a little bit of Spock still left in him yeah. after, after Star Trek Four, and he was he did something maybe he tried to do a mind meld or something I can't remember it was one of the DC comics and okay. uh, and actually Spock shows up in his mind and talks to him about you know you're able to do this because we did share minds or whatever oh yeah or, right yeah I remember that and one. that there was still a little bit of him in it right yeah so. But so he that's kind of not did canon. a mind. Yeah, he kind of did a mind meld or something, didn't he? What when he? Yeah, I, re- yeah, I remember yeah, that yes. episode. McCoy I remember did. that 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 book. Yeah, yeah, right. McCoy did the mind meld, and then he had you know it was kind of like a almost like a Nightmare on Elm Street type thing because he was <laughs> in the guy's mind and exactly. his nightmares were coming to life, and right. McCoy was able to yep. make swords and stuff. And yeah. now, mind you, McCoy can't do Vulcan neck pinch, which but Mike apparently. Can't. Whoa! <gasps> Hold on. <laughs> so, so McCoy did, couldn't do a Vulcan neck pinch, but in this comic, he was able to do a mind meld, which I would think would be harder. But right. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so you brought it up. Okay, so Michael does a Vulcan neck pinch. Okay, what's wrong with that, Donovan? Obvious. Well, I don't know because it's it's what how how does the my, how does the nerve pinch work, right? It just depends on who you okay. talk to. Okay, it's a combination of technique and strength. So that's why Data can do it. He is strong. Yeah. Vulcans are strong, so they're able to take the technique and the strength to do it. Normal humans are not strong enough, and you know I'm not being sexist here or anything, but you know Michael's a girl, so she's even a little less strong than a guy would be. So no, I don't think she was raised on Vulcan, which has the higher, which has the higher gravity, which then she would be used to. She would be a little bit stronger too. No, no. Maybe that's why I don't think so. That's why Vulcans are strong is just because they're used to being in heavier gravity. I do not remember that explanation ever. I do not remember that. I know you did. That's why I'm telling. I'm calling (laughs) you. But it makes sense. (laughs) No, if you're. If you are generationally raised on a planet with higher gravity, you're going to – sure, you're, you're going to be stronger, a lot stronger because you and your ancestors were all raised in that environment. Sure. I mean if, if you as, – as a, as a human who ends up on this – you know, on Vulcan, um, I, I, don't, I don't think it would be quite as strong. Uh, although I do agree with you, uh, you would be getting a lot more uh, stress on your muscles. If you were in a higher gravity place for years, right. I do agree with that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was a little upset that she was able to do it. And, and supposedly, a lot of the people, because I watched a little bit of that after track thing. And, yeah, I didn't watch that. And they were saying, uh, one of the production guys were there, an older guy, uh, you know, maybe my age, oh my God. And, uh, and, <laughs> and he was just talking about, you know, how he. And just about everybody on the production crew, especially the writers, they're all Star Trek fans. They all know canon, um, and they have constant battles with each other and discussions about what's okay and what isn't. So the idea that they got through this, and now Michael has the ability to do Vulcan neck pinches, I I don't know how they could do it. (laughs) Sorry. That That bugs me. Okay, uh, continuity problems. Okay, so that, that is one of my biggest – that is one of my dreaded continuity problems. Should we do another one? Um, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay, even though we, I, we're kind of getting into general things now, but – Right. Rather than focusing on an episode, but um, – Well, it's hard to separate these two episodes because it's a two-parter and, and, and it yeah. feels like a movie, so yeah, – I agree. Okay, so my other big thing that kind of bugged me is um, – the Klingon. So supposedly, what's his name? Cat, cat, cat. No, Tikavma. 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 Right. So supposedly, according to Valk, Tikavma came up with a cloaking device. Did they say that, or they just said that he had one? No, that they said. Okay. I will agree with you that there's a little bit squishy in the wording, but Valk said um, – I think he actually said, uh, Takuvma has brought you a great weapon, you know, a, a cloaking device. His ship is a, clo- mm. you know, is, is a cloaking device, or he devised it or something. I forgot right. what the exact wording was. But okay, you know, where did he get it from? I mean – and isn't this supposed to be ten years between before Kirk and Spock's missions started, right. at least in the in the, the TV show? 
Um, so wasn't Balance of Terror a when Balance of Terror came out, which of course was the episode where the Romulans used their cloaking device and their big uh, right. weapon the, for the first time, at least first time that the Federation ever saw it. Um, and I think it was a new thing. Um, you know, that's 10 years from now. So, and nobody's talking about Romulans. Um, so, and this is supposed to be Taws, not uh, not JJ-verse, not, right. not the Kelvin timeline. So, how did he get a cloaking device? Well, maybe he did make a, a deal with uh, the Romulans that the, the rest of the Klingons don't know about. Well, okay, that's possible, but they did it 10 years before it was – 10 years before it was probably developed. Oh, that's right because what's – well, according to the comic books and stuff, that uh, that Balance of Terror was the, the prototype of the cloaking device. Exactly. Yep. But that is that actually mentioned in the in the episode itself? Um, I think they went on and on about how much power – it drew. Right. And I think they went on and said something about how the ship, you know, wasn't 100% ready. Right. Yeah, um, okay. So it, it, at, at the very least, it shouldn't have been around at the time period that that, uh, that discovery takes place. Right. But doesn't the – in Enterprise, don't the uh, don't they have some cloaking device at one point too? Not I the Klingons, but um, but you know the Romulans. No, well, I don't think the Romulans are in Enterprise. They no, they be. shouldn't be. Well, they they were. They were going uh, to be. They there was a couple un, unmanned type things that they exactly. But uh, anyway, but anyways, but, but yeah, I don't I don't remember any cloaking technology. Okay, but maybe some some race did. I mean, right. just because it's invented in one place doesn't mean it can't be invented in another place. Right. Yeah, because they had holodecks and replicators, and uh, some aliens did, and uh, and uh, Enterprise. Even though the Federation won't get that stuff until much later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're we're kind of nitpicking a little bit, but okay, so well, I, I'm with you. I'm with a continuity. You, I that. think it's a continuity problem. And they and they had to know, but they figured, well, we'll explain it. So they may have an explanation for it. Right. They may. Well, well, they blew up the ship, so I doubt they explained too much because the ship that did have it is now gone. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. Okay. Is that necessary? Okay, so uh, Takuvma is dead, and he's supposedly mm-hmm. the guy that came up with it. Right. And it's his family's, his father's old ship that has all the coffins on the outside, Uki. Um, right. And yes, they were able to. Well, okay. Did they completely blow it up, or did they like well, cut they, the head off? They cut the head off. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the head is the part that has the bridge and stuff. So it, it was completely separated. But I guess they could tape it back together. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and, and quite frankly, that's probably not the only place they had the technology. Although right. the guy that supposedly brought it to the Klingons uh, is dead. But I'm sure there's right. scientists and, well, I'm and sure other that, people that know how to do it. That albino, the albino uh, Klingon is going to continue. With yeah, the, well, Vok. Uh, yeah, so is Vok going to be like the main bad baddie? The yeah, main? he feels like he is. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's another kind of interesting thing. Um, most of the Klingons tend to be darker skin color, and then Vok's the albino, who is the outcast. 
But right. he is—he is really albino. I mean, he's really white, not you know, peach right. colored or whatever. Which we've seen the albino uh, Klingons before. I mean, there was one in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, but I yeah. do like—I mean, it's—that's right. I do the like albino. how he. Uh, how they, they this the all these Klingons are kind of the outcasts that make up this uh, group that um, exactly yeah I do like Kuma that. has right right so I thought that the uh, putting the bodies on the outside of the ship was uh, it, it served zero purpose uh, as far as the show but I felt like it was only there to explain how later they're going to get the um, the mine or the the torpedo mm. into the ship right. It was like uh, they made a big well, deal of it in episode one, and then in the second episode, uh, Battle at the bi Binary Stars, they just yeah. – now we're going to uh, do something with that because they're going to try to suck up all the bodies, and we can sneak a, a bomb into it. Well, okay, but let me just also say just because you put coffins on the outside of your ship, that's not the only reason you may want to retrieve your, your fallen comrades. I mean we sure. would want to, right? Although, right. although nobody really talked – I mean, you think about all the times that bodies have flown out of J.J. Universe uh, Star Trek vehicles. <laughs> um, we never talk that much about retrieving the bodies, but I'm sure we were, too. Right. I'm sure they do, yeah. if they can. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of that part, though, yeah. that was another part that bothered me. When, um, when I'm having I, I Saru mm -hmm. scans the ship and he says the, the ship is covered with these bodies... And he says that they're in various stages of decomposition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in the vacuum of space. In the vacuum of space, there is no, <laughs> there's nothing to decompose. It'll be, it would, there, no, I mean, the reason why bodies decompose is because microorganisms inside the body eat away the tissues and, and, and it decays that way. If you're frozen in yeah, space. In space, yeah. In vacuum, there's yep. nothing. You would be preserved. It, it's a go. type of mummification. But he yeah. says he yeah. says some of the coffins are just bones. So either they dug up the bodies from being on a planet and then put them on well, the ship. Well, maybe they didn't get quite around to putting them outside on the outside of the ship yet. Well, that's what I was thinking. The only thing I was thinking is, one, they keep an atmosphere in these little coffins and, and pressurized and uh, – Oh, kept well, at not room do temperature. That. They're not going to do that. And I was like, boy, that's a humongous waste of, of, of resources. resources. Yeah, but maybe they do. Yeah. Uh, but then the other thing I could think of is uh, they they used to be on a planet, but then when they wanted to do this, they dug them all up and put them on the outside of the ship as some sort of symbolic gesture. Nice. Or three, the writers didn't know how decomposition works. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just sounds cool, doesn't it? I mean, because it, cause yeah. it didn't, didn't it sound like a Saru didn't even know they were coffins? Right, just you know? biological. Yeah, he what does just, he say? There's, he there's Klingon biomatter in those boxes. And right. so it was Burnham that said, you idiot, it's a, they're coffins. So, um, so he didn't even know. Hmm. Science officer. Well, he, does say, no. he does say they're at various stages of decomposition. Okay. And well, he says some of them are just bones. Yeah. It did seem like she was trying to say, um, you know, he didn't know. She never calls anybody an idiot. No, she didn't say that, but that's basically what she was saying from the sound of how she did it, but whatever. All right, okay, so, so can we can we talk about her real quick? Sure. What What is her problem? Michael Burnham? 
Yeah. Yeah, what's she's... the deal with the first name, so... anyway? <laughs> well, it's a gender-neutral name in the future. I guess um, so. But, okay, so her family dies. So she's, she's not Michelle Burnham. Sarek. She's Michael Burnham. Okay. Right. So she's ma- raised by Sarek, I guess. It, it's never 100% says that, but I, I got the feeling she was. Well, yeah. And then... And then, then so she she shows up on the ship when she's when she starts working on on the, the ship years ago. Right. And she's very cold, very Klingon-y. Yep. Yep. But in the show, she's everything sets her off. You know, even before this, I mean, I thought she was very hot-headed the way she was acting towards uh, Saru. That uh, I don't know. She never felt very well, Vulcan-y. Well, no, I, I think she felt really Vulcan-y on the planet when she's walking around the desert with the, um, with the captain. Um, I, I do completely agree with you. When she first came onto the ship, she was like full-on Kling- or Vulcan mode. Mm-hmm. 100%. Obnox- and an obnoxious Klingon at that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, she's a lot looser now and emotional. And she's even come to the point where she says her emotion informs her intellect. I mean, how long did it take Spock to figure that out? Right. Well, but um, but she used to be a normal human, raised by Vulcans, and then here it's uh, – what's her name, the captain? I uh, forgot her name. Um, well, the actor is Michelle Yeoh, and it's Captain Berjou, Ber- Ber- B-E-O-R-G-I-O-U. Right. Okay. How, do you, how so. are you pronounce that? <laughs> so I mean, she says that she was, she took it as her job to, you know, take away the Vulcan shell. Right. Right. Which I guess she did because this girl did a good job. She's not active Vulcan anymore. No, no, no. But she is full of a lot of good information. So I mean, she still got some of the benefits of the Vulcan thing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but act definitely acting were you know normal human. Right. Which I liked. And then I kind of got the feeling, well, maybe she's like that because she didn't go through Starfleet. She went straight from the Science Academy on Vulcan to being a officer on a on a bridge, almost like T'Pol, where where there was no, you know, indoctrination of Starfleet yeah. ideals. Really, she was just yeah. kind of thrown in there, which I didn't I didn't think that was explained very I, well. No, and I don't think that's allowed. I mean, I, I agree with you with T'Pol, but I mean, didn't it she happened. also? We just saw it did, happen. I know, but. I know it just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> no. I mean, no. And, and and did DePaul go through the Vulcan equivalent of Starfleet? I mean, she wasn't a, a science academy person, was she necessarily? Yeah, I think so. Was she? Okay. I don't know that detail. I don't mm. know. But you do make a good point. <laughs> Definitely, uh, Michael seems to be more of a uh, you know uh, a scientific. Uh, Schmarty pants, at least being a member of the Vulcan Academy, right? I mean, that's what that's what Spock didn't do. He went well, off to be in Starfleet, right? Right. Anyway, I don't know. Anyways, uh, so again, we've only seen the first, basically the first episode. Uh, you know, it was a two-parter, but yeah. uh, uh, so it's it'll be interesting to see what what they do with her. I, I didn't care for the uh, her jumping through the vacuum of space. That was a little little much for me i think well and, and jumping through the vacuum of space is one thing but you started to see her her face her skin start to freeze and stuff 
Oh, and, and her eyes. And her, her eyes, eyes started freezing over. And her eyes were open. Are you nuts? I would keep my eyes as closed as humanly possible. Uh, but then, you know, not that long afterward, hey, she's back on the bridge and she's fine. You know, no, right. I don't buy that. I agree. I agree. And it didn't really, to me, it didn't add anything to the story. You knew yeah. she wasn't going to die. So it was just kind of like an anticlimactic scene. Yeah. Um, Although that it, was kind of cool how a big chunk of the ship was gone. And it seemed to be the security force fields that kind of held that little section of the ship, like the floor. Right. Still held it there. That perfect little square, her exactly. cell. Right. Her cell was kind of open to space, but yep. everything else was gone. Yep. I call BS on that. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and that kid just got sucked out. That was kind of cool. Right. right. Yeah, the one, the one that was trying to go to medical, but he somehow ended up in the wrong place. Exactly. That seems so unlikely. But who knows? <laughs> maybe they're right next door. Who knows? Right, maybe. <laughs> yeah, the brig and the sick base right next door. And what was the what was the doctor's name? I thought the doctor's name was uh, Doctor Naboo. When I was like, is that a Star Wars reference? <laughs> yeah. So Doctor Naboo, who apparently is the Shinzo's uh, senior medical officer, or well, whatever. He's right. He's he's the one of the main doctors anyway. Did we but actually it, see him? I thought it might be a woman too. Oh no, it was he. I think okay. you, I think yeah, you saw me. Oh, that's when right. When was... she was getting her DNA resequence. Exactly right. So he was <laughs> definitely there. And now Dr. Hugh Culber is also in the credits. And mm. Wilson Cruz plays that character. I assume that's going to be the Discovery's doctor, but okay. not sure. Yeah, I, I wrote down a whole bunch of stuff from IMDb. <laughs> All right. And then uh... – Really, the only other thing that I kind of was was on the fence on, it looked cool, but um, I I thought it was a little repetitive, was uh, it seemed like they were borrowing from in um, uh, what was that last movie called Nemesis, mm -hmm. with having the oh. Kling, the half cloaked Klingon ship ramming into a Federation ship. Oh yeah, and then you know it was just like, uh, did they not see Nemesis? They've already done this. Well, wasn't it Nemesis? Wasn't that the Enterprise that rammed into the Shinzu? Right. Or not, not just Shinzu. Whatever uh, they called. Shinzon ship. Shinzon ship, right. Yeah, I don't remember what it was called. But yeah, it was kind of almost the same thing. I mean, it, it looked cool. Both both times oh, yeah. they, they looked cool. And, and even in Nemesis, you had Data jumping through space uh, without any production too. So it's like there were so many scenes that I was like, you've done this already. Uh -huh. Which well, which is which is fine, but it's well, just like Well, at least they didn't have uh Kirk die rather than Spock. You know. <laughs> yeah, right. At least he didn't right. go that far. Yeah, at least when that guy got sucked out the thing, he never said, Michael, you have been and always will be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyways, did you not get a Nemesis vibe through some of that? Yeah, I mean, they also used had heavy use of like force fields and stuff. Well, even like when the bridge was blown open in Nemesis, right. so they used force fields like crazy. So uh, I, that kind of reminded me of it, also. Right. All right. Anything <sighs> else for uh, for you? Because I, I feel like I'm 
monopolized a little bit. No, no. I, okay, here, okay, here's my chance to monopolize just a little bit. So I did a little bit of research. Okay. So would you like to know a few things about the uh, Shinzu? Uh, sure. Okay. Let's, let's talk about a couple things. Uh, number one, apparently that is a Walker-class starship. Ooh, that's a new one. Ooh, yeah, well, yeah. So it's apparently a Walker-class starship. And something I found very interesting is that the bridge is on the bottom. I have never seen a starship before where the bridge was on the bottom of the saucer section. Hmm. I did not know that. Yes. Uh, it, it kind of bugged me because I was looking at the ready room, the, cap, the you know, uh, captain's ready room, mm-hmm. and it's like it's, it's kind of angled. So the, like the floor is uh, smaller in diameter than the, than the ceiling. Right. And that was kind of that. like, that seems odd. And then, sure enough, I mean, the bridge does the same thing. So then, um, anyway, so I looked at a few video things, and sure enough, that the top of the saucer section doesn't have any bridge. So, um, interesting. Which actually makes more sense. It does make more sense. Actually, you should do it like the uh, Covenant does in, um, in Halo. Oh, I thought you were talking about Alien, and I was like, no. I don't remember. No, the, the Covenant puts their bridges in the center of the ship, so you really have a hard time getting at the uh, captain. Anyway, um, so there's that. Uh, also, did but you know- r- real quick, one time, w- one thing with uh, the Shinzon. I mean, how yeah. do you know that that was the bottom and not the top? What? what well, I mean, because just- when they're standing on it, they're still they'd be standing. The dome part of the bridge is still. Above their heads, right? Um, just go now that I've told you that. Go back and look at some frames of it. Uh, if you look at the bottom, you can see where the bridge is, the bottom of the sa- of the saucer section. Right. I'm, lo- I'm and looking at the And if you look at the top of it, you'll see that it's it's really smooth. It's very odd. Right, and they have a deflector dish kind of up there. Yeah, and that deflector dish is very odd, isn't it? The angle looks like it shouldn't be effective. It looks cool. <laughs> it's pointing down. Well, it's pointing up. Well, yeah, you depending know, like, on how you're doing it. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. What if you just turned it around and it would be it would be right? I mean, the nacelles would be on the bo- on the top uh, like a normal <laughs> like a normal like a normal Enterprise. I, uh, agreed. Agreed. Well, you do realize that the Akira class. Um, starship that was in uh, first contact is really more or less the uh, Enterprise NX upside down. Right. Yeah. Okay. We talked. We said that before. Yeah. I just. I just like saying that. Uh, yes. I get you. I, I see that. Yes. That is kind of interesting. Yeah. I didn't really. Well, because yeah. if you look at it, even the shuttle bays and stuff. I mean, it's it looks just like the normal a normal Federation ship. I mean, yes, the the painting and stuff has the uh, the registry. I guess what would be the bottom. I don't know. Um, another thing is NCC-1227. Yep. Which, um, at first, my first reaction, and I think we might have mentioned this in the past, I'm not sure, but NCC-1227, comparing that to 1701. Oh, 10 years difference. Oh, that kind of makes sense. So wait a minute. Um, the Enterprise had been around a long time before Kirk took it over. Right. Uh, there were multiple captains before him. Uh, so, 
you know, so maybe the numbers shouldn't be that different. But then in the second episode, when they talked about the lateral transporter arrays, uh, which is inefficient, they're not, nobody's doing that anymore. Right. Yeah, I was wondering about that. That's where they mentioned, uh, oh, yeah, it's an old ship. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess then that makes the number make sense again. Because it's an old ship. Oh, uh, because it's even older than... Yeah, even okay, older yeah. than the Enterprise. So Right. Um, another thing to mention, do you know what Shenzhou means? Nope. Well, it means divine, divine, divine craft, uh, divine vessel of God, magic boat. It's got a couple different meanings in, um, in Chinese, apparently. Mm-hmm. And it was the first... Chinese uh, spacecraft, which brought a Chinese citizen into orbit in 2003. Ah, interesting. So it's a real ship. It's a real ship name. Kind of like Enterprise. Kind of like Enterprise. So I think that's very cool. But is it racist that the Chinese-named ship was captained by a Chinese woman? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think we'll all have to just make that decision for ourselves, Donovan. Make yeah. that judgment ourselves. Okay. All right. So that's it. That's what I just wanted to say about the Shinzu. I liked it. I liked all the ships. I thought the 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 Admiral's ship looked cool. Which was Reliant. That was a Reliant-class ship, basically. Oh, is it, is it actually? Okay. Well, no, wait, Not, I, I'm it saying it looks called. like it. It right, looks right, like right, right. It looked like it looked like a, um, you know, uh, a cleaned up, uh, you know, we had more money to make it uh, version of the Reliant. Okay. So when does the Discovery novel come out? Do you know? I have no idea. I have no idea. But we'll learn even more about what happened. Things they couldn't right. put on, it, the, uh, well, the, on the Well, I think the show. Discovery novel takes place before this. So it's, oh, uh, really? It's just her on the sh- – it's, it's their time before. So. Oh, I did not know that. I yeah, thought you meant it would just be re, you know, a novelization of the first two episodes. No, no, no. It's a uh, – it's, um, it's its own thing. It's, okay, it's, but th- – so it's it's talking about the Shinzu? Uh yeah, yeah. So the time okay. with uh with uh, Burnham and uh what is her name? George Giorgio? I don't know yeah, how Yeah, whatever. Her. Captain Yeah. yeah. So it's during that time where she's picking away the shell of the Vulcan oh, on okay. her or whatever. Yeah, that's cool. Which is good cuz that's 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 some information I want to know. And it's written by David Mack who's wrote a to- wrote a ton of the Star Trek novels, so I am looking forward to that one. I think it comes out at the end of the month, so I have a little bit of wait. Right. Well, actually, you know what? It says September, so this should be out already. Yeah. I might have to check that out. There you go. Um, so lastly, uh, for me, the opening credit scenes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, perfect. Let's talk about that. I, I liked them. Uh, they're, they're, but it felt more like a James Bond type opening without the catchy music than a James Bond yeah. movie has, but... <laughs> But at least with the montage and the weird visuals and stuff, I was really getting a uh, like a combination of the Daredevil um, Hannibal type opening that's kind of popular now, and then with a James Bond. Uh, okay. With but instead of a bullet flying through everything like the James Bond movies do, ah, it was a, a little it was discovery flying. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Um, I liked it. Um, I had heard on YouTube a reviewer, uh, one of the many like geek shows where they all have a lot of energy and stuff and they're all like a little you know take it easy guys you, you don't <laughs> have to show that much enthusiasm but um the, the, the 
they made a comment saying, hey, it looks just like um, Westworld. Uh, and it's like, that. oh, huh. Yeah, I think you're right about that. So I went back and rewatched Westworld. Love that. I love that series. And I, yeah, it is. It is a little like, um, actually, it's a lot like um, the Westworld credits, opening credits. So huh. in the Westworld world opening credits, they're basically kind of showing them like kind of sort of abstractly uh, making uh, robots. Okay. Humanoid robots, uh, horse robots, you know, whatever. And uh, and they're doing different things, including sex. So, in the uh, opening? In the opening. So they got these robots doing everything. Um, and uh, so and, – and they kind of sort of have something like that uh, where, you know, they're, they're – uh, the ship, they're showing the ship kind of in a lot of detail and they're showing the phaser going from the old look to kind of being broken apart and reassembled in the new look and uh and then they show the the communicator dissolving uh, but not reforming so okay whatever and then um the last thing you see in the credits of westworld is an eye a human eye big Mm. close-up of a human eye which of course it's not in the end or it's not in the opening credits of Discovery in the first episode, but after the credits, it goes right into um, uh, the Klingon's eye. Yeah, I forgot his name already. Yeah, already. Tekovma. There you go. That's it. So, yeah, I like it. Looks good, but it does seem like it might have a little bit of um, inspiration from well, from maybe a couple different opening sequences. Right. That's fine. But I mean, still, it, it, nothing's new. Nothing, you know, how often do you see things that don't borrow from other things? Right. And I would li- I liked it better than seeing another one where it's just the ship flying through space and flying way too close to a sun for no reason. Oh, right. You know, like, like all the other, uh, all the other openings have been. So, no, I liked it. It was something different. It was good. Um, I liked it. Yeah, just like the opening for uh, the Orville. Which is so ah, <laughs> which is so, so TNG. Yeah, you want to switch gears to that, or did you have any no. more to do? No, no, that's, let's not do that quite yet. Okay, oh, so okay. Um, let me, I just want to make sure. Okay, I, I took even more notes. I'm not going to go through all of them. This is kind of running long, but um, just quickly. So the Klingon sacred beacon, so that mystery structure mm-hmm. that Michael was on. Um, so did they actually have Kalis's body in there? Or no. was that really just supposed to be some uh, ornamental, uh, huge thing that puts off so much light and who knows, maybe other electromagnetic stuff that it signals the Klingons, it's time for war, everybody, come on. Right. Yeah, that moves at faster than the speed of light. Because Apparently. Because Sarek on the other side of the galaxy saw it. Oh, yes. There's a new, there's a there's new, a new star, star in the sky. Yes. Baloney, that's not how science works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same problem I have with Star Wars when they blow up several uh, planets with uh, the Star Killer base. Right. Right. And I'm like, that's not how science works. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, so Burnham killed the torchbearer, and that gave. The hawkish Klingon guy who turned out to be uh, Takufma. 
um, more impetus to get his unification war thing going. Right. So I guess one thing I just want to say is, and they kind of said that at the end of the second episode as part of her soliloquy before she's sentenced to life in prison, Michael, um, everything she tried to do in those two episodes pretty much went to poop. <laughs> and everything she tried to stop from happening ended up happening. And and a lot of it was by her own hand. Right. I mean, her accidentally camp- killing the torchbearer gave more impetus, right, to, to Kuvma. Um, her ending up killing Takuvma, and he and she did it purposely. I mean, she flicked it to to kill. Yeah. And Why she did she shot do that? him? Because because he killed the captain. He she loves the captain. So she, because she was the one that went on and on about how we have to capture him because exactly. we can't make him a martyr. Exactly. And what then did she it do? did seem like she killed him on purpose. She did. Now the thing is, I thought she hit him in the shoulder or like like shoulder blade, and I didn't think it was a de- a kill shot. But apparently it was. And it shouldn't be a kill shot because Klingons have two hearts. So even if she went through well, one of them, yeah, but I, he should have been alive. And it seemed like it was high enough on the body it wouldn't have gone through any organ. Right. You know, just, well, I mean, you got to have room for that extra heart, Ken. It might be up okay, there. Okay, it might be up there. So, <laughs> But I, I thought that was kind of cool. So, You thought it was cool? Everything, I thought she it was, was cool. Uh, she's, she's crazy. Well, okay, hold on. So how many times are, are Star Trek stories a bit pat? Um, sometimes there's some exceptions, but for the most part, our, our heroes get in a bad uh, situation. Um, and I, yes, I am thinking of Wrath of Khan. And then because they're clever, uh, they get out of it. You know, okay, so Spock died. But pretty much <laughs> things go according to plan, right? Right. Right. Is now be, this be in the same spot next year, next episode. Exactly. exactly. Now this things went to crap. Nothing worked out, <laughs> and uh, and a lot of it was Michael. Oh yeah, she. Yeah, if you think about it, she did everything. She was the one that killed the guy, like you said. She was the one that told um, the captain to target the artifact to kind of entice them to reveal to themselves. Out. Yep. Uh, no, but that, that was that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, they 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 got they they got him to come out of hiding. Right, but if. But if they never would have done that, if they wouldn't have fallen for that trap, which yeah. obviously the whole thing was, then, um, then, then Takuvma wouldn't have the, he wouldn't have had the reason to call in the twenty-four houses. Yeah. Yep. Now you're right. It's all her fault. I didn't think about that, but yeah, the whole thing is her fault. <laughs> okay, but let me just also say that the admiral had a part to play too, because some of the things he was telling, um, you know. Uh, telling uh, Captain whatever her name is uh, also was leading to the problems. And who knows, maybe firing first, having a show of force, maybe that like maybe that would have worked out well. But even Sarek said, that may not necessarily work for you. Right. So The Vulcan anyway. hello. I did like that part. Yeah, I did. Because you think of Vulcans as being, hey, you know, we're pretty cool and, uh, you know, we, we don't eat meat. So... But, uh, you know, obviously, uh, this Vulcan hello is to blow things up. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Not what you expect. Nope. Okay. That's all I have to say. I think that's it. Oh, oh, let me me quickly say something about um, ratings. 
Okay. May I? Yeah, I, I, I didn't know there was any ratings. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course there's ratings. Okay, so Discovery, and I, and I didn't write down all the ratings because they were talking about what's the, you know, what's the rating in the you know, 29 to 42-year-old blah, blah, blah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't write that stuff down. Sure. So uh, Discovery's first episode was broadcast over CBS, and it drew 9.6 million viewers. Supposedly, CBS was shooting for 15 million. We're hoping for 15 million. So, 9.6 is not bad, pretty good, but definitely not what CBS was hoping for. Mm. And then, what about? Uh, do they know about? Yes. Streaming? Oh no. Okay. Oh, well, at least they, they they didn't they didn't make that public. Although okay. they they did say this, uh, the Sunday before the premiere was. Far and away, the biggest period of uh, new subscribers really uh, wow. CBS Inter- Interactive ever had, which really may not be saying much. Because quite frankly, until this came out, did you ever hear of CBS Interactive? I know I didn't. Uh, I'd heard of it because um, when we when we cut the cable cord uh, a year or so ago, yeah. uh, I, I found out about it then when the, oh, when we got Hulu and CBS wasn't on, and I did try to find out why, and that's why ah, because, because go. they got their own thing. Gotcha. So kind of like what Disney's doing. Okay, so <laughs> Orville Orville had eight point six million v- viewers on the first episode. Yeah, on the first episode, and that tied the season opener of This Is Us, which I understand is a my wife loves that show. Very popular show, yeah. She loves that show. Um, and then The Mick, about the same as The Mick also, and I'm not sure what The Mick is. That might be a it's, new show. I don't know. It's, it's, the, it's in its second season. I never heard of it before, but okay, okay. I don't ever watch commercials, but I did see some commercials for it now. It okay. looks funny, but I haven't seen it. Okay. So mind you that that, that first episode was right after football on a Sunday. Uh, okay. So, you know, that's that's that, that's a great lead-in. Um. And now, since um, Orville has moved to its Thursday night slot, uh, ratings have fallen off sharply. Right. I saw that season four only had like three million, three point seven million, something like that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that's half. Yeah. Okay. Well. But it's easier to record something and watch it late on the weekend as yeah, opposed to just watching yeah. it live on the weekend. So. Okay. I don't know, but yeah, that's a pretty big drop if you look at it that way. Yeah. And yeah. I, I hope it doesn't mean that the they're going to cancel it. Okay. Because it can't be a cheap show to make. Oh, no. I bet it isn't. Okay, so the Orville. Okay, so we got three episodes, and we've got uh, – uh, and I think, I, I think it's just been getting better as, it go, as, as the episodes have proceeded. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the first episode's directed by Jon Favreau, mm-hmm. who, who's uh, you know, Iron Man and Swingers and all. You know, swingers. He, he's, he's been around forever. <laughs> Love that. Um, and then the second episode, directed by Robert Duncan McNeil. Yes. You know, Mr. Tom Lieutenant Paris. Paris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then the next one, directed by Brandon Braga. I was so surprised. <laughs> it's like, they got all these production people from, uh, from Next Gen and, and Voyager and all this stuff. Deep That's Space great. And, and, That's wonderful. And yeah, Enterprise. And yeah. then I think the fifth episode uh, that comes out this Thursday, directed by Jonathan Frakes. Oh, good. Excellent. And then I think Jonathan Frakes is directing one of the episodes of uh, Discovery, too. I had heard that. I heard that about Discovery, so. which makes perfect sense. He's a, he's, a, he's a really good director. Yeah. Why wouldn't you use him? 
So no, I think it's awesome that uh, the these Star Trek alum are coming over to uh, to do some Orville. That's great. Yeah. Well, who knows how much other things they're doing? Um, <laughs> I mean, Braga did uh, did that did that dinosaur one, right? Uh, what was that called? Um, a TV show. TV show. Yeah. Hmm. So they went back in time, but ended up at a different parallel dimension version of earth back to dinosaur days and earth had been all polluted and everything. So this is supposed to be taking place originally in the future and then went into the past. So basically humanity was escaping a, uh, a despoiled earth by going into the past, but in a parallel version of earth. Huh? I don't remember that one. Never saw that one. Uh-oh. It was pretty good, and and Braga was one of the uh, producers of that. I I thought I thought it was pretty good. I liked it. Huh. Anyway, what was it called? T something. Hmm. Whatever. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, so overall, what do you think of uh, Orville? We've kind of talked overall, so I guess we just we we've t- been talking about. It. You want to talk about episodes? Um. Yeah, I guess I, I've only seen them all once. So um, the first one I liked, I liked, I liked the whole dynamic of of him being a uh, kind of a bitter um, divorcee instead yeah. of a womanizing uh, horn dog. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was a nice switch. Yeah, that's good. I, I I like that too. The only thing is they were going on kind of a lot in and sometimes in uncomfortable ways about. Uh, you know, the ex-wife, current first officer's infidelity. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and that whole thing about the spurting balloon yeah. in bed right. is like, what what's that about? Right. Yeah, they bring it up again in, in, in the fourth one, but it's it's uh, not into as much detail. Good. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I really like that show. I don't know what it is. I mean, just because I guess it's just like so much like Star Trek, but with with uh with jokes <laughs> yeah well okay so how do you like seth mcfarlane as the captain yeah, I mean, does, I, he, does he sell it he sells it for me yeah i like it a lot i i, I uh, seth mcfarlane i think is really really talented and and maybe too talented for one particular person because he can do anything <laughs> well like, he can't do anything but he can do a lot of things yeah. he's got a great voice he's yeah, a really good he, singer he can sing he can write he can you know, it's just like comedy voices, right? Uh, he's obviously a deal maker too, because he is a Star Trek fan, and he supposedly went to Fox with this and really pushed it. And I can see him having to, right? Because it's like, yeah, you made Family Guy, and we canceled you multiple times, but gosh, you made a lot of money for us, right? Um, and we want you to keep making it. So, okay, you want to do Star Trek? Okay. Right. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the thing is, I think in the first episode, I he, he just did not seem as comfortable in the role. Um, and some of the dr- dramatic scenes, some of the dramatic things he was doing, um, I I didn't buy all of it. Mm. And also, I don't think he is really an actor as a first thing, because I remember when he did his little. Um, he did – I have seen him do multiple little cameos over the years right. in different shows. 
uh, Enterprise, of course. Yeah, I was going to say, he was in Enterprise. Yeah, he's in Enterprise. Uh, I think two episodes. He, he was plays uh, one of the... Guy. Oh, was he? I thought he was one of the <laughs> the Makos. Was he an no, engineering No, no, he wasn't a Mako. He was an engineering guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was an engineering guy, and and he did a little thing where he was an FBI guy on this TV show... Uh, I forgot the name of it, but it only lasted one season, where there was like an event or something, and then time advanced like by a, like like 10 seconds or something. And so after the event, everybody's like like in car crashes and things like that because they completely lost consciousness or whatever for 10 seconds in the world. Anyway, so he's, he's walking along uh, in some kind of, as an FBI guy. And it's like, I'm just focused on him because I know exactly who he is. And he just, he just seems so nervous. He just seemed, he didn't sell it to me that he, and, and, I mean, other people were doing the dialogue too. He was just walking along, but I was just watching him because I knew who he was. And I just didn't think he was much of an actor. Uh-huh. And in the first episode, he was good. It's just uh, a little uncomfortable, I thought. But in the second and third episodes, I think he's doing great. Right. And Adrian uh, Palicki, right. uh, who's playing uh, Commander Grayson, uh, who was Wonder Woman. She was uh, Wonder Woman. She was also uh, a, a, a pseudo Power Girl in Smallville for a couple episodes. And she was also – She was in Smallville? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, she was. They they tried to introduce. Man, she's the, been a lot of things. She tried to introduce the Kara character in 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 the season three season finale, uh-huh. and then then she was in the next season, and it was kind of like, oh, she's she's not really, but uh, but yeah, so she was in that, and then she she made such an impression on Smallville that they cast her as the main villain in the Aquaman pilot. Oh my God, really? That, that didn't get picked up, but. Uh, <laughs> But then, then she went and did the Wonder Woman pilot, and that yeah. didn't get picked up. And yeah. then she was in Agents of Shield for a couple of yeah. seasons. Yeah, and she would have, uh, and she would have still been there if they didn't, <laughs> if they, they didn't write her, her out. Exactly, they wrote her out for that spinoff that never happened. Right. Another so. thing she was in, she was in, she was in Friday Night Lights. Right. Right. Uh, she was younger then, of course, but um, yeah, she's been in a lot of stuff. Anyway, yeah, she's 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 so good. She's good. Yeah. And I and I like her in here because you know this is the only time I've really seen her do comedy and and she seems to have an act for it. Yeah, I mean, she uh, she's pretty good. I like her. Yeah. Um, and then oh, go ahead. And Penny Johnson Gerald's. Is she the name? the little girl? No, she's Doctor Finn. Oh, she's who the was, doctor. Okay. Who was Cassidy Yates in DS Nine? That's her. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is that this I've is been Cisco. watching. I've been watching uh, Freddy's Nightmares, the the uh, TV series that's spun off of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm there's only two seasons, and I was almost to the end of season two, and I was telling my wife, I was like, there hasn't been a single black person or Mexican person or anybody that's not white in 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 this whole series. Yeah. I was like, that's weird, right? And then like in the next episode, um, Tim Rust was in it. Oh, <laughs> and then in the next episode after that, Cassidy Yates was in it. And I was like, oh. I was like, man, that's weird that I just told my wife, and then the next episode I watched had Tim Russ, and then the next episode had her in it. I was like, hey, that's weird. That I guess uh, the producers and me figured it out at the same time. Yeah, they like, said, 
You know, we've gone almost two years, and we haven't had anybody that's not white. Maybe we should pepper in a few. Uh... Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, but then I thought it was funny that it was two Star Trek uh, Star Trek alum before they ever went to Star Trek. Right. right. Uh, so that's her. I'm going to have to watch it again. I'm going to want to pay more attention next time. Yeah. I feel bad I didn't catch that. Okay. And, and then uh, Victor Garba, or Garber, as Admiral Halsey. So that's that's cool. I think he makes a good Admiral. Right. I know him from um, Legends of Tomorrow. What else yep. has he been in? I know that he's. Oh. I've seen him in other stuff. He's been a ton of things. He was the engineer of the uh, Titanic in in Titanic. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, much younger man then, but still. Um, I read that he was in the the first um, the first Broadway performance of Rent. Oh really? Huh. Yeah. Cool. Well, he's a good actor. Yeah. Yeah. Every other people are good, but I really don't know them. So. I just th- those those people really stood out for me though. The gelatinous cube guy, oh. voiced by Norm Macdonald. <laughs> yeah, I l- okay. So I liked when I first saw him in the first episode. That was the funniest part of the, of, of the first episode, I thought. Um, and then when he shows up again in the third episode, <laughs> with that little gelatinous um, protuberance, yes. right? Uh, I thought, ooh. Risque. It is very risque. <laughs> There's more where that came from. <laughs> yeah, he's in the he's in the fourth episode too. Oh, good. Okay, good. So, not to spoil anything, but uh, there's another big star in episode four. Oh, okay. A a, a Star Wars alumni. I'll go ahead and just say that. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah, they're getting a lot of people. Doing little cameos in these things, right? Yeah, uh, the uh, the father, the guy that played the father, uh, uh, Ed Mercer's father. Oh yeah, Jeffrey Tambor. Exactly, he's he's great. Emmy, multiple Emmy award winner. <laughs> and his wife was played by um, oh, I forgot her name, but she's she's in a ton of stuff too. Yeah. Uh, what is her name? But anyways, yeah, big big people just to do little cameos. Yeah. He he probably just like hey you're gonna be on a view screen just stand in front of this blue screen and we'll exactly we'll we'll, we'll fit you in yeah Norm's probably doing it from his house you know <laughs> right just phoning it in exactly yeah okay but, I, oh go ahead good no go ahead okay I want to say right now that Mark Jackson plays Isaac the racist robot oh right but at Mark times I, I have no idea who the guy is. Okay. But the thing, my, my comment is, his voice sounds just like B- Brett Spen- Spiner. So he's doing his robot <laughs> lines, and it's like, gosh darn it, that sounds like Data. Um, and maybe that's on purpose. Maybe it isn't on purpose. I don't know, but I keep on hearing Brent Spiner's voice. Oh, that's funny. And also another thing, he's supposed to be an extremely racist robot. So I thought he would get more funny lines. But I don't remember many funny lines with from him so far. Right. Uh, the the fourth episode, he's kind of a bigger player in. Okay. Okay. But still, it's not. They, I think they're kind of downplaying his uh, racism. He, okay. He's just kind of arrogant that he's better than everybody else. Exactly. But... He's the robot that's better. Yeah. Right. Okay. But in in episode four, he he's almost like a data character. This that. He knows he's better than everybody, but he he doesn't really stress it like he did in that first episode. Oh, okay, okay. But uh, but uh, but I what I really like about that show, um, and and 
and, and it's just that it's so meta so that it, it's kind of like this is really our future mm-hmm. because they talk about kermit the frog yes they talk about star wars so mm-hmm. there's several times where they're actually mentioning star wars characters i can uh, be your obi-wan right so then that got me to thinking is like so does star trek exist in, in this <laughs> in this con- in this continuity's past because if star wars exists and kermit the frog exists uh-huh. then why wouldn't star trek yeah so i keep waiting for yep. them to make some sort of reference like beam me up scotty or something like that yeah and uh stargate tons of star trek references um, oh really so you figure it's got to come up eventually if indeed that that's what they're saying right so it'll be interesting yeah so that second episode i thought was a nice spin um you know the cage and the menagerie, menagerie right idea about humans being put in an alien zoo so i thought that was right. kind of i thought that was interesting agreed um, and I like how they how they did that. They really must have mind reading technology down pat. Um, yeah, those that alien species. Oh, oh, oh! When they made the the environment. When they made the environment, where they recreated his freaking parents, and he didn't tell a di- he couldn't tell a difference. <laughs> right. And like, what geez. they were talking about. It's like how would oh, how would they know that now, his parents would talk about enemas? Exactly. Exactly. Or colonoscopies yeah, or whatever. And, and it was about. funny because it was like it was like an episode of uh, of the Jerry uh, Seinfeld or something. Yeah, that's what I felt like. You know. So um, anyway, that's that was pretty good. Right. And then the the third episode, man, the whole thing about the baby, uh, you know, what, what, you know, who gives you the right to push your, uh, your beliefs, your, you know, sexual orientation beliefs or your, you know, just society in general beliefs or whatever onto a baby. I was like, oh my God, that's, that resonates so, so much on. Exactly. uh, You know, even to, you know, do you, do you, do you pierce a baby's ears? Or do you wait until they can have they say so, you know, yeah. or you know, everything. So yeah. I liked it do, a lot. Do you fix fix a cleft palate, or do you uh, wait until they can make the choice to fix the cleft palate? Well, right. That's not the same thing. Sorry, Bordis. Um, <laughs> so this was basically Orville's version of let let that be your last battlefield, uh, where Taws, you know, was preaching tolerance of people with different skin colors and and i thought that was a very effective episode because if you did if you weren't looking closely because i know i was the first time i saw it i was a kid um i had no idea one you know they had one was black on the left side and, right you know it was just the sides of their face where they, there were different colors so that's a big enough difference for you guys to fight a war over um so but and that at, for its time that was really a powerful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Now, there's still race problems, but now um, uh, I'm very interested that they uh, took on this whole idea of uh, sexual identity and, uh, right, you know, sex changes and, and whatever. Yeah, no, I liked it a lot. Uh, and it got you thinking that, uh, you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, that's what's great about science fiction is that you can tell stories that, are true now, but set in a future where you don't realize that they're preaching to you. Yeah. <laughs> Until or, it's too late. Or, like... or, or sometimes you do. Because <laughs> my sister, <laughs> my sister doesn't like the show. And, uh, and she's just going off on how it's too preachy and blah, blah, blah. Oh, so, that's too bad. Which is unfortunate. 
Well, not to not to give too many spoilers about the fourth episode, uh-huh. uh, but uh, since this will be probably the only time we talk about it um, on the show, um, it's it's an episode where it's kind of a first contact situation. Mm-hmm. But so somebody is in a ship, but they don't know they're in a ship. So do you do you tell them or not tell them? You know <laughs> that oh, kind right, of thing. Right, right, right. I mean, it, it was you know they don't handle it in a Star Trek way because it's not Star Trek and it's it's trying to be funny and, and things like that. But, you know, you could totally see that this is, uh, this is from, this could be a, a Picard episode, right? you know, or, yeah. or a situation. So do they, so they don't have the prime directive or something they like don't the seem prime to. directive? They, well, again, but would it apply in this situation when, you know, I don't want to give away too much, but, yeah. uh, okay. That's fine. but it, it was, it's, but they never once mentioned some sort of um, limitation of, right. of it. But uh, but they did kind of in the third issue, the third episode where yeah. they were talking about you know, you know, just because you're part of the, uh, it's not called federation, alliance, whatever it is, uh, the union, union. Just because you're part of the union, do you have to abide by all the union's rules, or do you get right. to make up your own? Right. And the fact that they call it the union is like, oh my god, that must set every, <laughs> you know, <laughs> every. Uh, extremely right-oriented person politically must set them off because most of them hate unions. Oh, really? I mean, well, like uh, labor like unions. Labor unions, right? Mm. Exactly. So I could see that being a problem for some people. That's um, funny. So I got to say something about the ships. I love the ships. The ships so go look ahead. good, but I got to say, you, as long as you're not going to say nothing bad about them, you suck. Well, I don't think this is bad. I just got to say though, from multiple angles. And we see multiple angles. Um, the Orville looks like a sperm. <laughs> okay. Well, it doesn't have a tail. Well, it, yeah. And if you if you look at the shuttles they've got, that looks like a sperm with a really short tail. <laughs> I'll have to pay attention. I am well, okay. Gonna... So you didn't. Okay, so you didn't. That didn't really glance across your. That didn't. That did, that didn't come to you. That did not. No. Okay, fine. Well, now that I have put that in your mind, I'm gonna. I'll rewatch. Enjoy it. the next episode. <laughs> okay. They're riding around in a sperm. <laughs> no, I love the ship, and I love how they, you know, like the, like the Enterprise D when the nacelles would light up right before right. they go to warp. Yep. Uh, this one has like those, that. basically three kind of arcing right. nacelles, and how they all light up kind of like in yeah. pattern, and then goes. I love it. I love. I love that show. The quantum drive. Yeah. They don't have transporters, so that's the one thing that uh, they don't have that Star Trek has. Yeah. Interesting choice. I wonder why not. It it does exist because in that first episode – or that second episode, they do get teleported somewhere, but mm-hmm. they act like that's not something that's well, ever, yeah. been, ever done very often. It's that advanced uh, right. other race that apparently can do long-distance transportation. Yeah. Well, and build a whole space station, or make something, make a little tiny transporter yeah. pod look like a, a, a space station. Right. 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 Yeah. No. Um, aside from that, everything else seems to be right out of Star Trek. They have replicators. They have, you know, um, they got holodecks. Yeah, the, the holodecks exactly from. And and it's it's big, big holodecks. They're they have that whole um, what the the three caballeros. <laughs> well, probably that's not what they're doing. But oh, um, the the Western one was the Western that, thing that was in the third episode. 
third episode. Okay, I was thinking it was in the fourth episode. That's why I didn't want to bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of uh, a smaller number of uh, uh, the uh, mental block. Anyway, the main thing is it's 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 uh, they're playing cowboy, uh, right. captain yeah, like- and 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 the navigator and the uh, pilot, and it's kind of like um, you know reminded me of fistful of fistful of datas. Oh, fistful! Of, yeah, there you go. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Now I'm I'm pretty sure there'll be a holodeck holodeck's broken episode pretty soon. There, <laughs> there has to be. They have to do that. Because they are redoing a lot of things. It's kind of like the first first season of Next Gen, where they just did a lot of just retelling Taw's stories. Right. Now, I, I, don't, I don't mean to say it's a bad thing. It's fine to get inspiration for that as long as you take it in new directions. And I think they pretty much have so far. Right. When they've redone ideas. I like what they did with the, you know, the Menagerie thing, Command Performance, I think was the name of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and this last one they did, you know, with the Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, but for uh, sexual orientation and gender identity, I thought that was good. So it's not a bad thing. I'm just saying they do seem to, uh, you know, reduce, reuse some ideas. Right. Yeah, so far all the episodes have been written by Seth MacFarlane, so I don't know if, he, if he's going to write all of them. <sighs> you know, he can't. There's no way. I, I, he can't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. He's written the first four, so. Well, it, yeah, and I read that on IMDb, and I was like, really? He, did he, he's the only one that wrote that? Really? It just didn't seem like to make sense. Uh, I mean, that, you know, but hey, Seth MacFarlane can do what he wants. I'm telling you, he could do he can do anything. I know, but there other people have to start writing this too. <laughs> he needs more ideas, otherwise right. it's gonna get stale. It's gonna get stale. Yeah. And by the way, let me just go back and just make one last because this has gone on far longer than I think you and I intended. Right. But um, there is a huge number of producers and executive producers on Discovery. It's just amazing. And it, and it even kind of concerns me a little bit. I mean, take a look at that, those credits and see all the people that uh, – okay, so Nicholas Meyer is a consulting producer. Well, that's great. You've got to have him. Right. Spot on. That's excellent choice. Um, but then you've got Eugene Roddenberry, uh, Gene Roddenberry's oh, really? son. He's an executive producer. And it's like, why? Maybe um, because he owns the something. I don't know. I, I don't know. Does, does, could, does he own a piece of it at all? I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's like, uh, yeah, anyway. I mean, I've seen him talk and do some things, uh, and he seems like an o- okay guy. He seems decently spoken, and he actually did some kind of documentary or something about his father, uh, which I haven't seen. Uh, but it's like a producer, an executive producer. Anyway, take a, just, just count up the number of executive producers there are. It's just amazing. And it's like, why? Anyway. Well, I don't know. Got to get the funding somewhere. Yeah, so it's the, it's the opposite of uh, of Orville where Seth's doing a lot of it. Right. And then gets directors in. Uh, this thing is like, oh, my God. So Brian Fuller and Alex Kurtzman are the create, series creators. Okay, that's cool. 
And Brian Fuller is still an executive. At least he gets executive producer credits, even though supposedly he's not ongoing involved in it, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Anyway, but is Alex Kirkman still doing anything? I don't know. I just know he was working with Fuller on, you know, getting it off the ground and everything. But don't know. He di- he directed um, he directed the Mummy, right? Kurtzman. He, yeah. I, I think you're. He wrote. I think I. You may be right. I, I know yeah. he was heavily involved in that. So I think he was definitely one of the writers. He might have directed it too. Yeah, yeah I think he directed it. I think because yeah. he was going to direct Star Trek Beyond, right? And then um, I thought that was um, or was it the other one that God, I hate that. The other <laughs> one, because I, now I uh, Orsi, I think that was Orsi. Orsi. Yeah, right. Well, they both they both produced it, right? Uh, the Star Trek movies. Um, they Orsi, were heavy. They, they Orsi, were all three of them were involved. Orsi produced uh, Beyond. Right. Now, um, Kurtzman, Kurtzman might have. Kurtzman might have uh, might have had a uh, hand in it too, but he was not beyond the. I'm pretty sure I read it right, and my memory is not flawed. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it said produced by Orsi, and Kurtzman was not in there, but he could have easily been an executive producer or something like that. Right. Mm. All right. Well, anyways, he did direct Mummy, and it was not the best. I I did not see it. It's not but bad. I, I heard it wasn't. I mean, it's not horrible. <laughs> it's not going to blow your socks off. Okay. Well, I'll see it eventually. But yeah, it's worth watching. I'm not falling over myself to see it. Okay. All right. Wrap well, up time? I, think, I think we pretty much covered. I think we covered way more a lot. than we planned on. Yeah. Because uh, the whole reason why we were going to do this instead of a regular episode is because uh, we didn't have the time to do a full episode. No. <laughs> Yet we've talked for it. Or at least the prep time. Right. Although I will say I, I watched everything. I did have to do a lot of rewatching, uh, especially on Discovery. But I enjoyed it. Right. So nice. All right. Well, as soon as we get off, I'm going to watch the third episode. Cool. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us on this special episode where we took a look at <laughs> a lot of new uh, Star Trek sci-fi TV. Love it. After, yep. after a long hiatus. So when the Orville comic comes out, are we going to cover it? Oh, we have to. Now, do you know there's going to be one? <laughs> no, I don't know there's okay, going to be okay. one. I thought you might have heard something. No. Okay. I wish. I hope they do, though. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, and we'll uh, see you next time when we talk about some comic books on this comic book review show. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Later. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.